Welcome to the Core Women Podcast, the place for women entrepreneurs, authors, and self-starters looking to build community and gain valuable insights through expert interviews with women at the top of their game. Join your host, podcaster, producer, expert coach, entrepreneur, and author, Dr. Summer Watson, as she aims to inspire and empower you through these candid conversations. Lean in and embrace the journey. It's time to start the show. Here's your host, Dr. Summer Watson. Today on the show, I would like to welcome Susan Schwartz, who is a leadership and management coach who transforms expert professionals into excellent leaders. She takes a practical, emotionally intelligent approach to equip professional experts with tools to build cohesive, collaborative, and happy teams. Her passion is fostering inclusive workplaces that encourage people to bring their full human being to work. She is also an adjunct instructor at UC Berkeley and UC Santa Cruz and a guest lecturer at Georgetown University and the author of Creating a Greater Whole, A Project Manager's Guide to Becoming a Leader. Wow, what a bio. We have so much to talk about here. So let's get right into this and welcome. And by the way, funny coincidence, I went to UC Berkeley and I grew up in Santa Cruz. Oh, wow. <laughs> so before we delve into this, and again, welcome. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. Before we delve into your professional background, tell us a bit about yourself and your personal background, such as where you grew up and some of the most transformational events along the journey. What a great question. The very brief biography, I grew up in North Florida. As we were discussing, the heat and humidity was unbearable. I got out of Dodge and moved north. I went to college in the mid-Atlantic and spent the bulk of my adult life up until three and a half years ago in the Washington, D.C. area, another commonality we have. Mm. And I, I moved out to the West Coast, San Francisco, three and a half years ago. And October 1st became my immigration date because there is a cultural difference between the East Coast, Washington, D.C., federal government subcontracting, and then out in San Francisco, where there just are huge ideas and big ideas and a lot of flexibility and looking for how to be flexible and move forward. Yeah. And how you dress. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) How you (laughs) dress in business and just even how you describe yourself is a a little bit different. And so it's, it's been a great um, lesson in transformation mm. and how you take your best self and bring it forward and adapt so that you are communicating better and people can hear your message and be able to recognize the power that you bring to your presentation. Yeah. And, and so when you speak about some of the most transformative moments Throughout my life, you know, thinking back to my book, the reason why I wrote it, um, A Project Manager's Guide to Becoming a Leader, is I was that technical project manager that was focused on the details. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to become, I wanted a promotion. 
I, I didn't quite know the difference between managers and leaders. I was in my late 20s and I just knew I wanted a promotion. And I said something to my first line manager and he looked at me and said, Schwartz, you'll never be a manager. Mm-hmm. And I was devastated because I was the top technical person, the subject matter expert for that area of my expertise. And I had to take a deep breath. And a friend of mine sort of heard that exchange because she sat outside the manager's door and I wasn't necessarily quiet. And she took me on a walk around the block and I was harumphing and harumphing and this and that. And she stopped and she said, well, Susan, that's how you are. And that was one of the best moments in my life was when a friend, a colleague was direct and kind. I knew it came from her heart. She wasn't trying to be mean or rude. And once I got that a wake up call, you know, that give slap, if anybody follows NCIS, that (laughs) shakes you up. um, That was a great step. And then I started watching those people. It was not my current manager at that time, but those people that I really admired their leadership, I started watching them. I was paying attention and trying to emulate all those good things. Mm -hmm. And two things, two pieces of advice that I really keep with me was one, uh, it was a client, it was a senior level person at a client. And it was a very large, huge, it went on for four years. And the middle manager in charge of it liked to set the vendor up for failure. He wanted Mm -hmm. to make him look good. And he brought a problem to our attention in a meeting that happened once a quarter with this executive vice president. And he had held on to that information for two weeks. Now, if he had notified us two weeks earlier when it came to light, we could have fixed it. It was a very easy fix. Mm. But he made it this huge event. And the executive VP knew his staff. He knew their good their good parts and their not so great strengths. And I could, we couldn't believe it. This was in the day of navy blue suits and stockings and heels. And the two of us, without even conferring, were both on the table, jumping over to throttle him. (laughs) (laughs) Midway, midway, we didn't quite make it to the table. (laughs) Uh, We stopped. We apologized, pulled our suits, pulled our jackets back down. And this executive VP looked at us, and he knew what was going on. And he said, ladies, conflict is not bad. It's how you handle it that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you need to listen. You need to pay attention. Be constructive. You know, listen, find out. And then uh, a few years later, I was in uh, the position I was in was being phased out. And mm-hmm. it happened sooner than I expected. And the reason was because I was expecting and I had this huge plan. I'm a project manager. We plan. Yeah. And I was going that my job did have a termination date. It was a two year assignment. And I had it all planned that I would finish that. I would go on maternity leave and then I would come back to a new position. Only they closed the department where I was working four months sooner than I had anticipated. 
Oh, wow. so I needed to get a job. And I was inside AT&T. There should have been lots of jobs. Right. And I went to interview with someone who I had by reputation, and I'd worked in the same office. He just ran a different department. He was kind of a, um, I always got the impression he was kind of misogynistic, that he was very patronizing to women. And I was very nervous. I really needed this job. He wasn't the first person to be my first choice to work with. So I go in and we had a lovely interview. He knew my technical reputation right. and he was all ready to have me come in and he needed he needed a part-time person. And um and I was really nervous and I and he offered me the position. I said, "Well, you need to know one thing. There's a slight problem." I might have said challenge. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Well, what is it?" And I explained that I was pregnant. And he looked at me and he got this great grin and his eyes started twinkling and he said that's not a problem that's a situation to manage mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. I learned two things one is you can't you, you need to keep an open mind and meet people on your own place you can't yes. take hearsay or somebody else's story yes because uh, he turned out to be such a generous man I learned a great deal from him and but again, that the biggest lesson is not to get down in the muck in the mire yeah. to say, OK, it is what it is. Now, right. <clears throat> how do we move forward? Yeah. And so those were, I think, two lessons that truly transformed me and where I'm working now with those technical people who are getting promoted. And it's not that they are bad people or bad managers. They've just spent so much time honing their expertise. Right. That they haven't had a chance to explore and practice those other skills. And it's it's not my background is IT and telecom, but you know, financial analysts and architects and engineers all fall within that purview of a great technical expertise that is needed. Absolutely. And when you want to rise to the next level, you need to just take a breath and and I guide them. You know, that's yeah. that's what I have such a fabulous time guiding them on that journey. And uh, I mm. learn so much as I'm working with them. Well, there's so much here that you just mentioned. One, I'm going to go way back in this conversation and talk about your migration from the East Coast to the West Coast and how during that process, you learned to adapt, you learned new skills, you had maybe skills already within you, but you brought them out in a different way and you applied them in a different way from just that migration alone because of the different maybe microculture or cultural experiences, you know, who you interacted with, the mind shift the changes in the way maybe people strategize or work. So I love that you mentioned that in that transition. And then the second part has to do with that last question and that interaction with the gentleman who hired you, even though you were pregnant. And sometimes I believe we have these narratives that run through our mind about, uh uh-oh, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. And we set ourselves up for angst, And for all these variables, because we've been conditioned. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes 
it's hard to let go. It's hard to let go of that conditioning and think this can actually be a really positive experience. And as he said, it's not a problem. It's just something to manage. And so I like that. I like that because he also was saying, it's okay. That's not the narrative. That's not the narrative. Narrative is not a problem. It's just something different. Right. Yes. And we might take a different path and that is okay. Totally okay. And I love that because I think many times we forget we have these skills. We have this creativity. Maybe we just haven't used these things in our life. And now we have the opportunity and we get to see what that looks like when we apply these unique transferable skills. So moving on to that next question, you have such an incredible background in coaching and teaching. I really love the part of your bio that states that your passion is fostering inclusive workplaces that encourage people to bring their full human to work. Tell us more about how we can bring our full human to work or into everyday life. You know, I'm going to step back uh, to Brene Brown Mm -hmm. and her whole focus on vulnerability, because when I first read Daring Greatly. That was such a brain opener mm-hmm. because the first part of my career was in the 1990s when people is very much hierarchical. He's were dog eat dog, but it, you know, you had the blue suit and you wanted to get keys to the executive washroom, you know, to end up on that 22nd floor. And there wasn't a lot of human uh, at work. In the 90s, I was very technically oriented. And Daniel Goldman and emotional his book, Emotional Intelligence had come out, it was a, a bestseller, and everybody was reading it. And I chose not to, I said, I was flipping TCPIP bits. And I was mm-hmm. like, emotions, emotions don't belong in the workplace. Mm-hmm. You know, in my world, I was very few women, Very often I was the only woman. And if you were going to be emotional, you got to the ladies room before you cried. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It just, Mm -hmm. it was, and now as I, I, as life has evolved and I started teaching and I was working in the Washington DC area, I was also an adjunct at George Mason University Mm -hmm. in their project management professional program. So I not only did I meet lots of government subcontractors who were great technicians and they wanted to become certified project managers, and many of them came into my managing and leadership class and said, why do I have to know this crap? And by the end of the two days, it was a big sales pitch. How do you what you mentioned about how you apply it? Why is this important to use? I usually got evals that said, you know, this is pretty good stuff I need to know. Mm-hmm. And what was most interesting to me is towards the end of that, the defense was going through the brack where they were closing down and consolidating several plant um, bases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I was really impressed is they prepared their soldiers. Yeah. They knew that they were not going to be asked to uh, stay on based on a promotion. They the military would arrange for educational opportunities mm-hmm. to help the soldiers with their transition. 
Yeah. And I met so many soldiers who had such great leadership training. They right. were really there to get a credential to help them be successful. They already had those tools. Yeah. And and that was, you know, a real turning point when you start to look at leadership and transforming. And and that really broadened my perspective about the possibility and the potential of leadership and the different flavors. Right. And yeah. I'd always thought about the military as being very hierarchical, right? Mm-hmm. You have the general and the colonels yeah. and 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 so you always thought about type A personalities. Mm-hmm. And what I realized is when you're in battle, you need somebody to be directive. Yeah, <laughs> you don't want to have a kumbaya circle. Right. On the other hand, what I saw from the military and really gave me a great appreciation for that phrase, servant leaders and the people that actually put the people who reported to them first, that really yeah. recognized that as a leader, you were only a strong as the people who are on your team. And, Absolutely. and that's, that's really when you start to, and where I really started to think about leadership and those skill sets and how do you transform those technical experts and how do you expose them to yeah. the possibilities? And mm-hmm. I really got a lot of that from my experience working with um, our military, the people in the defense industry, because they were both um, collaborative leaders, yeah. people who could, they really encouraged and supported innovation. They wanted to know that we were in a tough spot. How do we fix it? Right. And that there are times when you have to be type A. And when bad things happen, people just look to the leader first. Absolutely. And of course, the greatest secret leaders have is we're making it up as we go along. <laughs> you can't tell people that, but you are. So, yeah. you know, when, uh, and I really, and it's not just military, the, the strongest, the best leaders, when they're trying to figure out what they can do to rectify a situation, to take that as a challenge and handle it constructively, they need to take a really deep breath. And while the back of their brain, I should say their front, of their brain, the logical part is trying to work out what to do. They have to keep a hold on their emotions because all of the people that report to them who are part of the solution are looking to them for guidance. And all of those people react to stress differently. And Absolutely. so here we are, the leader, you have to manage your stress and pay attention to how other people manage their stress so you can react and help them react constructively. And that's where uh, I, I do a, a lot of a lot of my practices based on what I call practical emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it's recognizing how do you observe behaviors and make choices, then you have the power to create that constructive choice that will help create that situation for success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm not sure if that's a roundabout. Oh my goodness. I love everything that you mentioned here. There's so much that we could tap into and each one of these subject areas can be a conversation that I'm going to bring up 
So you mentioned the realignment, the BRAC, the realignment. And during that time, my husband was also in the military. So there's another commonality. My husband was a Marine for 21 years, an active duty Marine. Now he is once a Marine, always a Marine, but he is retired now. So going through that BRAC, and that was really a very interesting, interesting time for the military. Additionally, in my husband's occupational specialty, they were going through a realignment kind of a micro realignment with all the brigs in the Marine Corps. So they were also consolidating at that time. And so it was interesting based on what you said, watching how they were strategizing and what they were going to do about it, what that was going to look like. And so it's not that they didn't have the skills. It was how were they going to utilize those skills in a different way? And how were they going to re-strategize that whole concept of what they did to what it's going to look like in regards to that restructure? So that was interesting. And you're absolutely right in relation to there's there's got to be leaders, especially in the military, because they do get into very different situations than the public, than the non-military, you know, milieu. And so we are emotive as humans. If we negate that part of us, we are negating a portion of how we function. And so it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to say, ah, these people aren't going to get emotional. If they do and how they do it is we have to be aware of what we're going to do about it, how we are going to respond versus react Mm -hmm. to that. And I think even as we go back to your examples, there were lessons too in those examples of one, which you mentioned, choices are superpower. I always say choices are superpower. Number one. Number two is how in your example, you pointed this out in the very beginning, how do you respond to a given situation versus react to that given situation? And those are two completely different things. So one's more impulsive. The other is what do you actually see your long-term goal being? Taking a step back. That's what you mentioned, taking a breather, taking a step back. And then what is that long-term goal that you're looking for before you react? It's a response. So there's so much, as I said, we could go down the line of subjects here because you touched on so many things. So thank you for that. Just and so- if I could make one quick addition, yes, I, I jumped to the military when I mentioned battle zone. Yes, in the private sector, not quite the same as a field of war. But right, there are times in the private sector when you feel like you are in the middle of a battle. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've worked government, nonprofit, for profit, and I get what you're saying. And I think. I'm going to throw this out there. I think sometimes that war is the politics. Yes, absolutely. Of the framework that you're working in. And so I think that once you can recognize, take a step back and recognize what's happening and see that what your role is in that and how you can be more effective by maybe pivoting a little bit or changing your approach as long as what's going on allows for that. Because a lot of times, you know, you got to kind of feel like you said, sometimes you have to work your way through it based on a given situation or a new situation. Sometimes you 
quote unquote, make it up as you go along. So hopefully with the variables and the dynamics, you can figure out a way to work through those politics, to work through those other challenges that may come up in the private sector. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank you for bringing that up because I think it's so important. All these subjects are so important. So let's talk about your book. Let's talk about creating a greater whole, a project manager's guide to becoming a leader. Tell us a bit about and you did touch on it, but tell us a little bit more about the book and how you might define a leader. Well, the book, what gave me the impetus to write the book, because I played for many years with the concept of writing a book, and it was always overwhelming. And for a long time, I talked about a book called Managing Like a Mom or Dad. And then I realized once people realized the power of that, they didn't need to buy the book. They were already <laughs> experienced. And when I was working with the project management professional program, that's when I was introduced to emotional intelligence and I became certified. And we made it an, an elective within the curriculum. There were five core courses and an elective. And it quickly became the most popular elective. Mm-hmm. Because of everything you've shared, it gave people an option. It let them see the flexibility and the choices and the enabling that you have for yourself and for others. And several people had said they'd like to see a second curriculum that they could, once they receive their project management professional certificate, you need to get ongoing professional development units. And they had said, this stuff is really good. Can you give us more and we could take those courses to complete our project development units and our personal professional development as, you know, getting more and more leadership experience. And we had a focus group. We, there were about eight to 10 project managers we spoke with. We put together a curriculum and you know what? Very few people came. So I got on the phone, I called each of the people that were in our focus group, and pretty much every single one in some way said, my manager will pay for technology training. They tell me soft skills are easy, buy a book. Mm. And I just, (laughs) I just got mad and wrote a book. (laughs) Just, I thought, well, if you're going to buy a book, then buy mine. Right. um, And one of the greatest joys of writing that was I got to go back. And for those people who I aspired to be like, you know, the people I held, I interviewed them. I got to say, if you were going to counsel, you know, someone rising in the ranks, what would you say? What's important to you? And when I think about a leader, it's not necessarily somebody with a title. You know, a leader may, can be unofficial. They can be the person that when the person with the job title leader says something, I I worked for AT&T while they were breaking up and going through divestiture so -hmm. many years ago. And it was a huge cultural transition. And people were very uncertain. And when our titled leader shared something 
there was a gentleman on our team who had many years. He was going to retire shortly. He was very wise. So we would look at him and see what his reaction was to what was being said. And then we couched <laughs> how we reacted based on this gentleman, Leon. And he really was that unofficial leader. So very often in a team, sometimes they're an adjunct to right. the, you know, official team leader. They're the people that person can count on. They're, you know, they're the person that I could whisper to you, Summer, and then you would reframe it constructively yeah. and take that right. feedback back to the leader. So I think the leader is someone who is able to enable somebody else to become a better person, whether it's professionally or in your private life. So I, I think that's my definition of a leader is if you can enable someone to become their best self. I love that. Thank you, Susan, for answering that question. And again, you've touched on many things here. The person that is a leader doesn't always have to have that title, right? And they look to others in the community to see what their response is going to be. And I used to, just on a side note, work in nonprofit when I was very young and I was coming up the ranks of human services And I used to go into these various neighborhoods where there are large gang populations and I would run community-based groups. And many times these gang members would come in and they would sit in the group and they were the younger ones just being molded. And I would pull them up because they were our young leaders and that lead those leadership skills that they had maybe have been pointed in a different direction, but I was going to help them point those skills in a new direction where they can apply that, the same skills in a different way. Exactly. And it was so great because then people in the community would look to that young person, that young adult, as they can make a change. They're our model How did they make a difference and a change in their life? So when you bring in that community and you recognize that person that people look to and you bring them up with you, there's so much to learn there. Absolutely. And I I was just thinking about the first chapter of my book called Finding Your Inner Leader, because everybody has that capability. And what I was thinking about was if you've ever seen the Lego movie, and Emmett is that little uh, construction worker right. that every day does exactly the same routine, is very happy, does his work. And all of a sudden, one day, he forgets, I think, his lunch bucket. He forgot something, his toolkit back at the site. And he went back and the, he saw somebody like slinking around and this person's looking for the other. And the other, what she, this person thought was the other was this red Lego strip that got, you know, attached to this young Emmett's back. And all of a sudden they started looking at him like, oh, you're this great leader. You're the other. And he had no confidence. He was like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. And they were all up against, you know, this great uh, monster leader that wanted to take over the world. And, um, and, 
so each of these experts, these technical experts, all had a different way of solving the problem. Yeah. So they each built this incredible a weapon, and they went to put them all together to integrate them into a whole, and it fell apart. They had mm-hmm. forgotten to think about how they worked together. They each were in their own silo isolation. Right. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, little Emmett thought, let's make a plan. He goes, I know. And he pulled out a paper. He started making blueprints because yes. he knew how to do He didn't realize he knew how to do that. But mm-hmm. he'd watched other people work on blueprints and something happens and he would erase it and he would fix it. And then obviously at the end of the day, you know, Emmett was the hero. Their plan worked because everybody came together and understood all their different strengths and how their strengths integrated. And the evil, you know, Mr. President or whatever he was, (laughs) all of a sudden is everybody's, you know, following Emmett and applauding him and, you know, making him the hero of the day. This evil guy, you know, his evil mask broke away and he started following everybody. He wanted to follow the leader. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he didn't have to be the leader anymore. He was happy to be part of a group. And, mm-hmm. and I can see with those young gang members, mm-hmm. they can take with that same amount of energy. And I can see the joy that you had working with them. Yes. was helping them discover what you saw, what they had, and having creating a positive environment that other people would follow because at the end of the day, they knew that that was a better path, that there was a, a better finish line. Absolutely. Thank you for that summing up of what we've been talking about here. And there's so many things that we could elaborate on here, but this is a half an hour. So I'm going to come to the, the last question here. And Susan, that is, As we come to the close of the interview, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? I think the secret to becoming a great leader is paying attention. There are many, many leadership books. There's probably 20 feet high if you stack them. You may not be able to read them all. I'm a big proponent of emotional intelligence, of observing the situation, reflecting on the tools that you have to use within that environment to create a constructive situation. If you don't have time to read all those books and you may not have the time or money to take on that training, if you simply step back and pay attention, pay attention to people and how they react, how they react to you, And you're going to make mistakes. So what happens if you try something and it doesn't get you the result, knowing that you can maybe not in that situation get a do-over, but the next time you run into a similar situation, you've sharpened that tool a little bit more and you can try something different. So I, I think paying attention is the easiest way to put yourself on a path to enhancing your leadership capabilities. Thank you, Susan, so much for that suggestion and for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. Thank you. Thank you very much. This has been 
um, a great, great deal of fun. I hope we can perhaps continue this conversation offline. Yeah. Um, that would be wonderful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You can follow Susan Schwartz on LinkedIn and by going to her website at www.experttoexcellence.me. Thank you for joining us on the Core Women Podcast with Dr. Summer Watson. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect more with you. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Core Women and on Twitter at Core Women One. For more about Core Women and Dr. Watson, visit corewomen.com. Want more support and resources for amazing women like you? Great! Join Dr. Watson and Jen Fontanilla at the Life, Love & Money Collective, a Core Women production that aids in understanding the key traits that might be getting in the way of living a life that you are absolutely passionate about. Connect with Summer and Jen and find out more at thelifeloveandmoney.com. 